Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Leupold. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. So what I want to do today is first we're going to cover a law of the day, and then we're going to look at the topic of education and the First Amendment. should be a fun topic for certain. So to begin, our passage of the day is Luke 11. 14 through 23. Let me go ahead and read that. Here from the ESV, there's a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 12, but we'll read the Luke version. So Luke 11, verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. But if, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges." But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So the context in that passage is that the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of using the power of Satan, or Beelzebul, to cast out demons. And it's an attempt to discredit his ministry, to associate good with evil in order to dismiss it. And Jesus points out the irony or the silliness of their argument. You know, a house divided cannot stand, implying that Satan is not suicidal. Demons do not cast out other demons. And if Jesus is using demonic power, well, what about the Pharisees? What are they using? And I think this statement, when he says, well, how are your sons casting them out, might be ironic since the Pharisees are not casting out any demons. Jesus is the one casting out demons. And every time he does so, the Pharisees get angry. So they're not casting out anything. So I kind of wonder if... Jesus pointing out the fact that, you know, you Pharisees aren't casting out any demons. Um, so why are you criticizing someone who is? Either way, those who attempt to cast out demons will be the judge as to what are the good methods or not good methods. And so Jesus presents them with an if-then argument. If it is the case that God's power is being used here, then God's kingdom has come. And he goes into a, an analogy by pointing out that Satan is the strong man who controls the land and has all the wealth. And Jesus is the stronger one who overpowers him, binds him, strips him of his armor, and takes his goods from him. And Jesus wins the spoil against Satan, rescuing souls from sin and death. So he ends this passage with saying, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So the implication here 
in this passage is that when it comes to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, there is no neutrality. There are only two kingdoms. Either we are part of God's kingdom or we are part of Satan's kingdom. So either we're under the control of the strong man or we are rescued by the power of Jesus Christ. There is no neutral ground. So what kind of application would this have for us today? Well, at the Great Commission before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples that he has all authority on heaven and on earth. And that's why they're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's not a future thing. That is a thing now. He is those things right now. His kingdom has already come and is still coming and will be fully consummated in the future. So we, as Christians, citizens of the kingdom, can't deceive ourselves about neutrality. We should not do that. Jesus is laying claim to all things, all authority. He says that in Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So do we believe that? You know, do we believe that it's all, or is it just some? Is he just Lord of my heart? Well, no, he is more than that. His kingdom encompasses all things. He is the Lord of the family, of the church, of education, art, science, economics, business, and the government. He is the Lord of all. And none of those things are neutral or can claim neutrality. And any attempt to do so, I think, is misguided or deceptive. Because any attempt of neutrality or any area that claims to be neutral is really under the control of the strong man, of Satan. So, that is our passage of the day. And now I'll go into our main topic, and the two do relate together. I want to talk about education and the First Amendment. So, many of us are already familiar with the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, and it essentially is broken up into two parts. The first part is that there will be no establishment of religion by Congress. The second part involves a promise that individuals will have the free exercise of religion, and it cannot be taken away from them. Now, just like any amendment or any law or any constitution, Nothing is absolute, okay? So even the establishment of religion, that's not absolute. And the freedom of speech or the freedom of worship is also not absolute. An example would be that there are some religions that practice pretty horrible things. Human sacrifice, cannibalism. The Canaanites did that. Those who worship Moloch did that. The Aztecs did that. So, just because you have a freedom of worship, freedom of religion, doesn't mean you can do whatever you want and claim that it is your religious practice. So, that's one thing to keep in mind. No amendment or law is absolute in that sense. They all have a context. They're not, they're not created in a vacuum. Now, when the First Amendment was ratified, the reference, and it says Congress will not. So the reference is to the federal government. It was intended to avoid what had happened in England with the Church of England. So 
we as Americans did not want to have a Church of the United States, an official, federally recognized and defended church. And this was meant to protect the church, not the government of the United States. You see, to say that there is an official church of X country, in fact, is to usurp the authority of Christ. The church does not belong to the United States, so the United States cannot lay claim to the church or to a particular denomination as if it's its own, as if it belongs to the United States. That would imply that the church is under the authority of the United States, which would be a bad thing. Uh, So the church is in the United States, but not of the United States. Now, also at the ratification of the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, over half, I believe it was seven, over half of the states had official state churches. So Massachusetts had an officially recognized church of Massachusetts, where tax revenue was used to pay for ministers, and that even though other religious groups were allowed to worship freely, there was favoritism. There was an official church of those states. So over half of them had it. And the First Amendment did not eliminate those state churches because the First Amendment was originally intended to limit Congress, the federal government, not the state governments. The states were allowed to do their own thing. And I believe that the last state church that was disestablished was around the mid-1800s. And later on, after the Civil War, the First Amendment got applied to the states. It, it was expanded to include the states, not just the federal government. That's another argument as to whether that was warranted or not. But either way, that is the context in which the First Amendment was approved. The founders never claimed that all religions were absolutely equal or equally true. They affirmed a common Christian inheritance or a Christian faith, even if not all of them were devout believers. But the founding fathers affirmed the common Christian faith and allowed states and individuals to hold diverse opinions. The laws and traditions remained Christian, and the idea is that God can be honored without declaring an official church. Just like you can run a business and you can run it as a Christian without saying that your business belongs to the Presbyterian church or to the Baptist church or that the Baptist church is the official church of your, you know, landscaping business. No, not at all. But you can still run your business as a Christian under Christian principles. Your business still falls under the authority of Christ. So, the church and the state are distinct entities. They each have different jobs to play, but both are under the authority of Christ. And both have roles to play, and they interact with each other, but in general, they are separate. So, the idea that there is a perfectly neutral space is, to be honest, misguided. The laws, all laws, have to be grounded in some value system. When you make a law, you are declaring value in something. Either you want to punish something because you don't value it, or you value something else and wish to promote or reward that thing. 
So there's always going to be a lawgiver. If you have a law, there has to be a lawgiver. So our country, our even our federal government affirmed God, published Bibles, and did many things that were favorable uh, to the Christian religion. Um, and you can do those things by proclaiming fast days, offering prayers to uh, to the God of the Bible, you know, things like that, citing scripture. So you can affirm God while not establishing an official denomination. And, and that was the primary focus, was to avoid picking one denomination. But the consensus was that the Christian religion, the Christian faith, would be embraced throughout all of the states and by the rulers and those in government while still allowing for differences of opinion and differences in worship among the Christian people. So, anyways, this is the context of uh, what it means to have free exercise of religion and a non-establishment of religion. It is not a license to do whatever you want, and it's also not a requirement to uh, serve as a ruler without any submission or obedience to God. Now, let's tie this on to education, and I particularly refer to public education. Public education was never intended to be the realm of the federal government, and, and at the beginning was not the realm of the state governments either. It was a church, local, family thing. Uh, it really shouldn't belong to the government, since the government, per Romans 13 and other passages, is designed to bear the sword, to, to administer vengeance and justice and protection. Um, educating children is the primary duty of parents, and that can be delegated, of course. You've got private tutors, and you can homeschool and do online schooling. You can do brick-and-mortar schooling. But at the end of the day, the final responsibility falls to the parents. Now, the state, particularly the individual states, did have probably, maybe, good intentions when they stepped in to form the public school system. And usually these things always begin with good intentions. But the problem is, it's very hard to use coercion and the sword with good intentions. Because um, what they do is they take tax money, coercive, you have to pay it. If you don't pay it, you lose your property or you go to jail. So it is coercive. You have to pay this tax money. And that money is going to be used to provide education. So that's the whole premise behind the public school system. The problem, though, with education is that it is value-based. It's not neutral. It's not just a reciting of facts, dates, and numbers. Everything belongs to God, and nothing is purely neutral. As one Christian apologist uh, in the early 1900s said, Cornelius Van Til, he said, all facts are interpreted facts. There is no such thing as brute facts. Everything sits within a context. So education cannot truly be neutral, despite our best efforts. And what this is causing a problem with is the current way in which we interpret the First Amendment. So what we're doing today in our culture is basically arguing that the government must have no connection, no reference to God, 
it must be perfectly secular, perfectly divorced from any divine authority. And it's supposed to do this while it administers education to the children. And education is not neutral, but the government is trying to be neutral. And the result is conflict and confusion. And I want to bring this into a practical example with the very school district that I live in, Central Bucks School District here in Pennsylvania. Now, this school district is currently attempting to rewrite a policy. Now, the district is about, the board, I should say, is made up of nine individuals, six of whom are generally conservative, and three of whom you would probably consider to be liberal. And the policy that is to be voted on, it's not been voted on yet, but it's going to be pretty soon. They just recently discussed it for the first time, or as a board. They were doing it in committee, but now they're doing it as a board. This policy is attempted to make the classroom neutral. Now, I want to read the policy to you first. It's policy 321. This is the draft policy. And this is what they are proposing to implement. And we'll see in a little bit why the liberals are not happy with it. And I want to play a clip for you in a little bit about that. But this is a the draft reading of policy 321. And here it begins with purpose. All right, here's what it says. Curriculum, classroom decor, and classroom instruction are desired to create an atmosphere where all students, regardless of their beliefs about politics, beliefs about socio-political issues, beliefs about sexual orientation, beliefs about gender identity, or beliefs about religion, are valued and supported. I'll stop there for a second. That is the purpose. Now, there's already a few problems even in that statement because not all ideas are created equal. Not all beliefs are created equal. Some of them should not be valued. It seems like it's referring to the students should be valued and supported, regardless of their beliefs. And that I can get along with. All right, let me go to the next section, which is the guidelines. Here's what it says. Out of respect for the fact that personal beliefs about such topics are often deeply personal and of great importance to many members of the school community and their families, staff members should not use their position or classroom decor to advocate for their personal beliefs on such issues to students. Taking sides on these important issues in the classroom can easily be misunderstood, risks needlessly alienating key members of our school community, and ultimately demonstrates disrespect for the diverse beliefs of our community. The board recognizes and encourages the right of administrative, professional, and support employees as citizens to engage in political activity, socio-political advocacy, sexual orientation advocacy, gender identity advocacy, and religious advocacy. However, district time, resources, property, or equipment paid for by taxpayers may not be used for such purposes by district employees when performing assigned duties. Employees shall not engage in political or socio-political activities during assigned work hours on property under the jurisdiction of the board, except as otherwise permitted for employee representative election. The board recognizes stickers, signs, flags, and other decor can communicate multiple and sometimes conflicting messages. A sticker, sign, or flag hung by a teacher may be intended to show support for 
inclusion of particular students, but it can simultaneously communicate that other teachers who do not affix such symbols in their classroom do not support inclusion for all their students. All teachers are expected to demonstrate love, compassion, and support for all of their students, and they should not be questioned or criticized for the decision to fly or not to fly various flags, or otherwise include other decor in the classroom. It may communicate that students who do not agree with certain positions are unwelcome. Because such decisions have led to contention and misunderstanding, and out of respect for the entire diverse school community, decor related to political, sociopolitical, sexual orientation, gender identity, or religious beliefs in the classroom, other than as described below, is prohibited. And it goes on to talk about dress code, personal, you can have personal family pictures, and wearing jewelry, and stuff like that. So, this policy sounds pretty good at first glance, and it's and it seems like it's attempt to be neutral. But is it? And can it truly be neutral? That is the question that I think we're going to see very soon from a clip by one of the liberal board members regarding this policy. And let me begin that here. I also have comments on the draft itself. The purpose of this policy has been stated as a need for neutrality in the classroom so that all students feel supported. This is an impossible task. Is there such a thing as neutrality? People bring their own perspectives and vision into a space. Their background colors how the space is seen. During a normal class period, the voices and opinions of our students are shared. The topics discussed in the classroom will impact students differently. A classroom can never be a neutral place. Instead, we should be striving to teach our students to navigate a world of differences and not sterilize our schools. The only neutral walls would be blank. Some things I want to point out there, some quotes that I think are very important to see. She first asked, is there such a thing as neutrality? And she herself thinks that the classroom cannot be neutral. She says, a classroom can never be a neutral place. The only neutral walls would be blank walls, which is very interesting that she would say that. And ironically, she is absolutely right, and I would agree with her. You see, the modern secularist argues and recognizes that there is no such thing as neutral ground. You know, maybe for a while we pretended that there was, but there never was. And there never will be. And what's sad is that Christians, many Christians today, still want to say, yes, there is. There is neutral ground. We can have a classroom that does not submit to the lordship of Christ, but also does not submit to the dictatorship of Satan. We can have that. We can have a neutral ground. And even one of the liberal board members who is against this policy and once this policy scrapped or completely rewritten, says, no, there's no such thing as neutrality. You can't be neutral. And the argument that they're making is you have to affirm. You have to affirm LGBTQ community. You have to affirm this. Um, you have to allow for it. You, you, you cannot just be neutral and claim that there is any such thing as neutral. And so as Christians, we need to understand that the other side already recognizes there's no neutrality. 
we have to stop pretending that there is neutrality. It doesn't exist. Every fact is an interpreted fact. All truth is God's truth. It's not just the truth. It's true because God made it, declared it, designed it, and ordained it to be true. Every square inch of ground belongs to Christ. Just as Abraham Kuyper, who was Prime Minister of the Netherlands at the beginning of the 20th century, I believe 1901, who's a Christian, he said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. So what's the solution here? How do we move forward in light of this situation? Well, there's a couple options. First, the government can keep trying to be neutral, but it's not going to work. And if it wants to truly be neutral, it's going to have to let go of education. Because just as the board member just stated, the classroom is not neutral. So if the government wants to stay neutral, and we know that the classroom cannot be neutral, then the government must get out of the classroom. And schooling and education needs to be given over to local communities, churches, private institutions, families, the parents, ultimately. Uh, Send education back to the private sector if you want to keep up this game of trying to keep government absolutely neutral. Or the state could recognize the historical context and the proper interpretation of the First Amendment, and it could, without violating the First Amendment, submit to the authority of Christ. There's no need to coerce belief or to establish a church or to say, this is the official church of this school and whatever. But the school can teach material that's based on truth, beauty, and goodness, which are all established by God and determined by God. The school has to pick a value system, and it's okay to pick one value system over another. They're not all equal. Uh, A Muslim value system, worldview, is not the same as a Christian worldview. And it's not an establishment of religion for the civil government to pick or to show favoritism to a particular worldview. I'm not talking about a denomination, I'm talking about a worldview. Uh, Even Romans 13 says that the government's job is to punish evil and praise the good. Well, to praise is to celebrate. And if you're going to celebrate one thing, then you're not celebrating another. And if you're going to punish one thing, then you're not punishing another. And having these value systems is not an establishment of religion. So, at the end of the day, the secularists recognize there is no neutrality. And so must we as Christians. All right, well, so that is our, our episode for today. Again, about education and the First Amendment. I encourage you to think on these things, read through the First Amendment, read through some of the uh, historical context there. I hope that you found this episode to be useful. If you have any questions, comments, or would like uh, me to cover some more topics related to that, or if you want to share about what's going on in your school district, Uh, please email me at thegbgpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just look for Governed by God or Eric Leupold, and you can message me there. And of course, if you want to support the program, you can go to patreon.com, look for Governed by God, subscribe to be a patron, would greatly appreciate it. All of it helps 
keep the podcast going. All right. Thank you again for tuning in. And until next time, take care and...